Well, my heart is bursting forth this morning with great news for you, but it's not new news, all right? But it is news, and it's news that we need to hear every single day, every single week. We should refresh ourselves, almost recalibrate our spiritual posture in light of this news this morning. And here's the news. It's our take-home truth. It's what you should take a picture of. It's what you should write in your journal. It's what you should jot on the, the notepad of your mind. Here's this news that, that all of God is working in all of your situation to give you all you need as a chosen sojourner. Will you read this with me? All of God is working in all of your situation to give you all you need as a chosen sojourner. This is comforting, reassuring, empowering. Um, it's establishing. This is tremendous good news, and it comes right out of the first two verses of 1 Peter. So take your Bibles and your journals. Let's locate 1 Peter chapter 1. And I want to take some time this morning to unpack this truth from these two verses. I'll mainly be using our lab this morning, so I hope you have a pen handy in your journal, and we'll just uh, explore these two verses. And I think when we're done, your heart will just be pounding, pulsating um, with, with uh, praise to God for what he tells us in these two verses. So can we read 1 Peter 1, 1 and 2? Here's what the Bible would say to us. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. Now, here's what he's giving to them which is what he said in verse one, right? To these people he's writing to, he says, grace and peace be multiplied to you. What a fantastic opening to this letter. It's officially known as the salutation, but this introduction, these first two verses are just packed with, with reassuring, comforting truth. Mainly this truth here that all of God is working in all of your situation to give you all you need to live as a chosen sojourner. Let me show you how we get there. Let's go to our lab, can we? Notice, first of all, our spiritual identification. I see this, first of all, in the simple title, Elect Exiles. You see that? Now, the letter's from Peter, who's an apostle, so there's an identification there. But Peter's writing to those who are elect exiles. We'll call this spiritual identification. Can I just use the word ID here? He calls them elect exiles. Now, what's going on with that? What does that mean? Well, um, I would rather use the word sojourners. Exiles sometimes connotates the idea that you're being sent somewhere as a punishment, like you're being exiled. And I don't think that's the sense here. This is really referring to those who who were, and you'll see it in a minute, this dispersion, they were scattered. And, and I think um, they're scattered, but yet they're chosen, they're elect. They, it's like they are known, and yet they're a stranger. 
God knows them. He selected them. He called them. He chose them. And yet for a temporary time, they're pilgrims. They're sojourners. They're traveling a land in which perhaps they're not well known, but they're known by God. So I love this phrase, this title given to the people of this letter, elect exiles, or we could use the word chosen sojourners. They are Jews and Gentiles. Peter's audience here in this book, yes, there are some Jews, uh, and yet there are what most believe would be primarily Gentiles. Uh, You find that in chapter 1 when he talks about how they had a feudal way of thinking from their forefathers. That's a very Gentilic expression. He also talks about how in the debauchery and sinful living that was going on around them, he's surprised that they didn't join in with him, indicating that this was the way they used to live. That's a Gentilic expression again. And so though Peter is this apostle to Jews, and there's Jews here because they were scattered He actually takes this phrase, elect exiles, chosen sojourners, and applies it, watch this, not only to Jews, but to Gentiles, to any believing Christian in these regions. Here's why I like that, because it shows us that God's chosen people isn't a national or ethnic issue. This is one of the reasons I do believe that election refers to God's chosen people of any race, not just God's chosen people, the Jews. And there's some division there, and not in a negative way, but there's different thoughts on that. This is one of the texts upon which I stand to say, you know what? The elect isn't just referring to the Jews God chose. This is referring really to those God chose, both Jew and Gentile. And hallelujah, that though we are strangers and pilgrims and sojourners currently, God knows us. And we are looking for a city whose maker and builder is God. The same phrase is used in Hebrews 11, describing all of those who were in what we call the hall of faith. They were exiles. They were sojourners. So this is our spiritual identification. And it'd be helpful for you to realize that you don't really belong on this earth. You are here temporarily. If you are a believer... You're traveling through, you're traveling through. You are still though a stranger and a pilgrim, but you are known by God and he is bringing you all the way to his eternal home, his kingdom. So this title applies, yes, to you. You are a chosen sojourner. Historically, he's writing to those who were chosen sojourners in what is known as the dispersion. You see that? And this dispersion, he here actually locates, at least for these readers, as ones in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, four Roman provinces. You see five titles. Actually, Pontus and Bithynia were considered one province in this time frame. Perhaps he mentions these four provinces um, with five names because this may have been the route of the letter. Perhaps Pontus and Bithynia were major ports, and so the letter landed there and was taken by, um, you know, foot. Perhaps Silvanus, as mentioned in the last part, was the one who bore the letter to these five places. It is a circular letter. The point is, there were Jewish and Gentile believers in these places because of what is known as a dispersion. So I think he moves from their spiritual identification. You are chosen sojourners and says, You are currently in a physical location. So we'll write that in, if you can read that. So here's their physical location, at least in this historical setting, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. 
they were there because of the dispersion. He's not only referencing Acts chapter 8 here. You go to Acts chapter 8, against the church at that time, a great persecution arose. And so the, the church, by the way, the word used there is the church, meaning not only Jews who were there, which was a primary uh, population, but there were proselytes we know from Acts chapter 2. So the church, even in Jerusalem in the early stages, had both Jew and Gentile, and they were forced out. They were pushed out because of persecution in what is known as the diaspora. But I think Peter here is referring also to the diaspora that occurred in the late 500s B.C. When, as a punishment, God did exile his children through the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And so you're looking at really at least two, maybe three times in which God's people... Yes, both Jew and Gentile were pushed out. They were scattered among the nations, ultimately to be a light to the nations. This was God's purpose. He's saying this is where their physical location is. Both Jew and Gentile, they're spiritual sojourners. They're they're chosen sojourners, but they're in these actual locations. And then he says the most amazing thing. Look at this with me. To these people who are known by God and yet are strangers and pilgrims on this journey, to these chosen sojourners who are actually in time and space locations, he says, this was according to, underline those two words. We've seen those several times in Scripture. They were used in Ephesians often. But it means in keeping with. It means based on or in line with. So their spiritual identification and their physical location is in keeping with, look what he does next. This is so delightful. It's in keeping with the foreknowledge of God the Father, in keeping with the sanctification of the Spirit, and it's in keeping with obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling with his blood. In fact, these these modifying phrases really take up the bulk of these first two verses, so they should garner our attention as well. So their identification and location is in keeping with, first of all, God's foreknowledge. Notice that God is mentioned, our Father. There's the first person of the Trinity. So he connects the first person of the Trinity with our identification and says that God knew this. And it doesn't mean that God just tucked it away in his memory and said, well, I guess I know that's going to happen this, is, this refers to, to a foreknowledge that has action to it, an ordaining type of foreknowledge, of lavishing love upon his chosen people. And so both their spiritual identification and their physical location is in accordance with, with God's ordaining knowledge. Now, some have asked, well, is this foreknowledge and this, this, this idea of something according to God's knowledge, is that referring to their election Is it referring to their persecution? I think the the most textual way to understand this is these modifying phrases introduced by the words according to refer to that whole situation. I would say, in fact, it refers to elect exiles in the dispersion right there. I wouldn't try to parse that. I wouldn't try, oh, it it refers to that or that. No, it refers to their entire ID and their location. Every bit of their situation and their station, all of their life was was because of God's ordaining knowledge. God was not missing out on something. He didn't accidentally skip a section. He didn't miss a step. God was in charge and overseeing every single bit of their 
identification and location. And it was in the sanctification of the Spirit. There's the third person of the Trinity. In other words, it was for their their set-apartness. That's what sanctification refers to here. Their their, um, growth would be a word we would use. Now, some would say this might refer to their moment of salvation. I tend to see that differently. I think it refers here to their growth because I think James and Peter both really preach a, a prominent message that it is through difficult times, it is through persecution, hostility, uh, suffering, that God does his best work, that the Spirit of God matures us in the greatest ways. I think here Peter's saying, yes, the dispersion that you have experienced and the scattering that has occurred and the resulting persecution Yes, God has known about it. He's ordained it as a way to lavish his love upon you. And it's by this that the Holy Spirit will grow you. And then he says, this is done for obedience to Jesus Christ. There's the second person of the Trinity. Don't you love the way that the Trinity here is connected to our identification and location? Which is why we get to this take-home truth that, that all of God, God is one in three persons. And all of God is working in all of your situation. This is what they see here in this uh, specific historical context. And so their their situation, uh, chosen sojourners in the dispersion, it was for obedience to Jesus Christ. So this suffering, this hostility, this this scattering, it, it was an opportunity and a platform for them to obey Jesus. And then you say, well, what's the rest of this about, this sprinkling with his blood? That's a great question. And you should be wondering, what does he mean by that? And what's going on with that? Well, it could be referring to perhaps a moment of salvation, forgiveness. I think instead he's referring here to what 1 John 1, 9 refers to as well as Psalm 51. And you could reference this even to Leviticus 14. Leviticus 14 is the cleansing of lepers who were within the community through the sprinkling of blood. David said in Psalm 51, purge me with hyssop and I'll be clean. And David was already a believer and yet he knew he needed the cleansing of Christ in his sin. 1 John 1, 9 says that if we uh, confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's a present tense verb in play there. If we are confessing our sins, I think this is referring to those moments in which we don't obey well in which in the middle of a, of a situation that we find hostile, difficult, we, we don't really, can we say, um, you know, follow through with what we should do as a chosen sojourner. But even in the middle of that moment, guess what? There is a sprinkling of Christ's blood upon us to make sure that we can obey again. So I think these phrases refer, yes, to God's knowing of our entire situation, calling us out of one and to another, the the way then the Spirit then uses that to grow us, and that growth occurs by our obedience to Christ, and His blood is so powerful that even in our moments of disobedience, it cleanses and restores us to continue to obey Him. That's why this is almost like a synopsis of the life of the believer. In fact, can I give you some summary words? I'll try to squeeze a few more in here, okay? I think the first one speaks of how God knows. The second one, how the Spirit grows. And no, the third one doesn't rhyme. 
the third one about how Christ empowers and restores. And notice that to these people of whom God knows about, he um, grows them through his spirit. He empowers them through his son to obey. And when there's not good obedience, he continues to cleanse them through the blood of his son. He says to them, grace and peace be multiplied. I love that word, don't you? Because God doesn't just give you, he doesn't add grace and mercy and peace to your life. By the way, grace is what we'd call um, um, unmerited favor here. Peace is unexplainable calm. God doesn't just add that. He didn't say, hey, you know what, Craig, I'm gonna give you a dose of that and a dose of that. This scripture says God multiplies it to you. Who doesn't need multiplied grace and peace? Especially in a time in which you're in a situation that perhaps you're realizing more and more, man, I'm a chosen sojourner. I don't belong here. I'm, I'm a pilgrim. I'm just traveling through some difficult moments. God knows me. I'm not sure who down here does. It feels like I'm more of a stranger here. I'm a citizen up there. In these very moments, guess what? God will multiply to you because he knows you. His spirit is growing you. His son is empowering you to obey. God will multiply to you unmerited favor, unexplainable calm. In all of your situation, all of God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are working in it. So your identification, your location, all of God is working in every bit of that. Do you see why my heart is bursting with good news? Because there's nothing outside of your life as a believer that God isn't using, controlling, and working in. Church, hear me well. There is nothing that he isn't using. This is astounding to me because here's what we like to say. Man, God is working his plan in spite of all the problems. But here's what the Bible says. God is working his plan in your problems. I mean, who can fathom that? And my mind, even this morning in some meditation and prayer, went right to the cross because I tend to think, yes, God saved us in spite of all the murderous persecution that the, the Jews and Romans brought against Jesus. But actually, the truth is, God saved us in the murderous uh, persecution against Jesus. That's how he saved us. How does God do that? I don't know. I am just extremely grateful that he does. Aren't you? That, that all of God is working in all of your situation to give you all that you need as a chosen sojourner. These are fantastic verses, aren't they? And so much of the rest of, of Peter's writing just really flows out of this understanding as it gets into more of their hostile situations, uh, their environments such as maybe being married to an unsaved spouse or working for a hard master or being reviled or maligned or beaten. He's saying, whatever your situation, 
Know this, you are a chosen sojourner and every bit of God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are working in every bit of your situation to make sure that His will is done. Man, that, that's so comforting, reassuring. This past Tuesday, one of our college students, I think she's actually a high school senior, but she's attending DMAC. And so I, I just kind of look at her as a college student. She burst into the office. Her mother works there. And man, she was just engaged and excited and she had so much to say. And she begins to relay the story to her mom. She's pretty verbal and pretty, um, in a good way, excited and loud. So I could hear it from my office. And, and she's explaining that in this class, this professor was just kind of laying out a number of things that were just against what she believed. I won't go into all of them, but it was a number of things from why you shouldn't have children or why you should limit the amount of children you have to how we got here to, and just, it just kind of went on a litany of, of really uh, unbiblical philosophies. And, and she said to her mother, I, I just sit there saying, what could I say right now? And, and I wanted to converse with him. I wanted to challenge that, but I didn't want to be disrespectful. But I was thinking about the folks in my class who maybe I could be a witness to and how many of them were Christian. I didn't know. And she said, I felt alone. And yet I felt like I wanted to stand up and say something. She goes, so I didn't do it, but I wanted to come and just talk to you, mom. And so they're chatting. And so I step out and we engage a little bit and talk. When I went back to my office, here's, here's the thought that I had. I don't know what price she may pay if she engages that professor. I don't know. I don't know what kind of cost there may be if she becomes very known to the classmates about her faith. I don't know any of that, but I do know this. Every bit of her situation is being overseen by every bit of God. And though she may not know what may result from her witness or stance, God already does. And he, the Father, he, the Spirit, and he, the Son, will use it in her life to accomplish his will. She can bank on that. So do you see how this gives us such boldness and how this gives us confidence to risk things? Because God's never caught off guard. He's never caught by surprise. Church, here it is again, this simple take-home truth. Will you say it with me? Will you let it settle over your soul? Will you let it blanket your heart? Say it together, church. All of God is working in all of your situation to give you all you need to live as a chosen sojourner. And I think right now there are two kinds of people in this room in light of this truth, this text, this fabulous, overwhelming principle. There are those who right now are grateful. There are those right now who are so grateful that you're ready to take your next step. God's been tapping on your heart's door. He's been, his spirit's been prompting you and, and you're just not sure you should do it or could do it. It's risky. It's, 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 it, to you, it seems like, I don't know. But yet this morning you're like, okay, if God's already there, I'll just get there. And you can't wait to get out of these doors and obey this next thing God's called you to do. You're grateful. You're not scared anymore. You're not fearful. You're not worried. You're grateful that this is the God you belong to, that he knows you, that his spirit is growing you through your difficulty, that his son is empowering you to obey in the difficulty. And your heart is overly thankful 
that you belong to God. You're excited now to say, (laughs) I'm ready. Todd, be quiet, be done, let's get to it, right? I mean, you're just grateful and it's causing your feet to want to move, your hands to work, your voice to sing. There are grateful people in this room because they have a bigger understanding of who God is and what he does. And so fear is leaving you, courage is penetrating you and you're ready to move and obey God. And there's one other group here, those who are curious. You find it intriguing that this is true of God. And you actually would love this kind of confidence. You feel uh, curiously drawn to this God. You don't feel like you're being sold a sales pitch. You're not being forced to sign a card. You actually are being drawn to a God who oversees every single aspect of his children's lives, who he calls chosen sojourners, his elect exiles. You're like, that, that is a God that I want to know. You're hearing a man expound this text. You're seeing folks around you react with joy, and you're like, oh, uh, can I be part of that? Folks near you right now are are feeling, they're emotionally sensing, this is Peter's version of Romans 8, 28. You know, Paul said, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. Now, the good there is that you're conformed to the image of his son, regardless of whether it's through difficulty or or not difficult. There's so many things that occur, but nothing separates you from God's love. He will conform you to his son. That's a promise. If you love God, here's the thing. If you don't love God, that promise is not yours. And so if you're curious, you're like, you know, I think I'd like that promise. I want to know that whatever situation or station I'm in, whatever comes into my life, God will use it to conform me to his son that he's working in all of my life to give me all that I need to live as a chosen sojourner. Yes, I'm curious, how do I get to know that God? The Bible gives us a clear answer. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. And you get to know that God by simply asking that God to put you in Christ and to save you. And in repentance and faith, we turn from our own gods, thinking we're in control, we can work it out, and we turn to the only true God, God the Father, who revealed himself in God the Son, who came and lived historical time and space, died on an actual cross in our place as our substitute. God raised him from the dead in an actual city called Jerusalem, the place you can see where his body no longer is. He was seen by more than 500 people in multiple occasions on, on like four, five, six weeks. He's attested to that son of God is the one that God the Father asks you to believe in so that you can be saved, sealed by the Holy Spirit of God, 
and empowered to obey even in your most hostile difficulty. And if this morning you're that curious, like if that's how God works for his children, that's the family I want to be in. I would just ask you right now, would you say, God, save me through Jesus? Just cry out to God. Ask him to forgive your sins through Jesus Christ and make you his child. You say, do I have to come forward and bow? Do I need to fill out a card? Do I have to say a magic prayer? No. What God responds to is the posture of your heart. So whether you're watching at home or listening to the podcast later or right here in this room, if right now with your eyes open looking at a man with a big nose and a bald head, if you just said, God, through your son Jesus, would you save me by your grace? You know what God will do? He will do that. And you will move from a, an enemy and an orphan with no home to a chosen sojourner on your way to a heavenly home. I've been praying all week that God will take the curious in this room and make them over-the-top grateful that they're in this family. And if you responded that way today, if you right now just prayed that God would save you through Jesus, then you are joining a throng of spiritual travelers who have this confidence that all of God is working in all of your situation to give you all that you need as a chosen sojourner. Amen, church. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more messages, visit firstfamily.church forward slash sermons or subscribe to our podcast feed. Thanks for listening.